Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. All right. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to the next episode. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about the review roundup for the Samsung Galaxy S22 line. We talk about first look at PlayStation VR 2 headset design. And we talk about consumer reports raising the Mustang Mach-E over the test model three. Okay, on to topic number one. Recently, we got reviews from, you know, all the devices that came out during the S22 unpacked event from Samsung. We got reviews of the Tab S8. We got reviews of the S22, S22 Plus, and S22 Ultra. To start off with the Tab S8 Ultra, it's a great device, great screen, a very big device and a big screen. The processor is slightly underclocked, you know, the processor being the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. So when you compare it to other devices running the same processor, it seems slightly underclocked. And this is from Dave2D. And I guess his theory was because it's such a thin device, there isn't as much room for, I guess, thermal regulation, thermal management, which meant they had to underclock the device so that you don't burn a hole in your lap once you're holding it or once you're setting it down. When it comes to the S22, the regular one, battery life is okay. Not great. Not headline making, but it's not bad. It's just an okay battery. Everyone was really impressed with the S22 Plus because, you know, the same processor, bigger battery, slightly faster screen, better charging. And the S22 Ultra was, you know, on all accounts, a note is the best that Samsung has to offer in terms of, you know, a candy bar style phone. But the interesting thing, right, is if you're someone that uses a stylus regularly and a stylus is something that you want to use, it's a great phone for you. But if you aren't someone who needs a stylus or wants to use a stylus for just, you know, everyday tasks, it almost might make more sense for you to get the S22 plus because it's a bigger phone. It has great battery life, has a great screen, and just an overall great experience from Samsung. But I guess my question to you is from the reviews you've seen, from you know all the reports you've seen, what are your impressions of this S22 event device list? Yeah, so overall, it seems like this, this lineup is, is very, very positive from Samsung, which is really cool to see. You know, generally... They like to release phones throughout the year. In the past, they've released like the the regular S line, you know, first, and then maybe six months later, they'll release the Note. That's obviously not going to happen this year with the Ultra taking the Note's place. So they don't really have as much opportunities to stay constantly in people's mindset uh, in terms of being the best phones out there, especially in the Android space. But I don't think they really need that this year because it seems like they've they've really taken... Uh, reviewers by storm it seems like people are really impressed with these devices you know starting with the phones uh the reviews kind of i've seen a lot of uh, or a little bit of of you know okay maybe the the smaller phone has has lower battery life it's something we've seen uh similarly with the the iphone uh the iphone mini uh series of of the last two generations a lot of people said yeah it's it's great to have a small phone but the battery life being a little bit worse uh, is kind of a deal breaker for some for me, it's not as much of a deal breaker and even less with the the Galaxy S22 um, 
because it's a little bit of a bigger phone, has a little bit of a bigger battery. It's it's more comparable to phones of a few years ago than it is um than it is just terrible battery life. So that's that's really good. It's not like the battery life is terrible, it's just a little bit worse than the than its bigger brothers. But overall, that's still the phone that I'm the most excited about. I really like it. Uh, one thing I've noticed in certain markets is that it's very easy to get your hands on these phones, even outside of carriers, which is something new for Samsung. Uh, a lot of uh, retailers are selling it unlocked, and even Amazon, uh, I've noticed, has started selling it unlocked in certain markets, which is great. Uh, it just makes availability a little bit more easier. So I'm, I'm really excited about the phones. The Ultra, obviously, is fantastic. People are loving it. Um, and... You know, the plus is, is perfectly in the middle of both, both of those. So it's like there's a phone for everybody. And with the tablets, that's probably the biggest shocker. Uh, the S8 Ultra, Tab S8 Ultra, you know, I, I said it in the previous podcast that I really didn't think I had any interest in that tablet whatsoever. I thought it was actually quite foolish that it had, you know, uh, this really thin design and the notch really kind of bothered me. But it turns out that notch isn't that big of a problem. Uh, people aren't really that upset about the notch and the cameras seem to be actually quite good. They're 4K cameras uh, on a tablet, uh, which is kind of un unheard of. That's great for video conferencing um, and the screen, the, you know, it's this big tablet screen that's also OLED. And, and you know, I've mentioned OLEDs in larger screens are kind of hard to come by, especially Samsung's version of OLEDs. LG makes OLEDs that are quite different from Samsung's not really the same kind of quality and, and the picture quality that you get from Samsung's OLEDs, but uh, this really makes me excited to see bigger and bigger versions of Samsung's OLEDs. And that Tab S8 Plus really, really surprised me of how cool it is. Uh, and I think it could be an absolutely fantastic laptop replacement, especially now I think more people are starting to realize there is competition to iPads. Uh, Android tablets can actually be fantastic. And Samsung software can actually be fantastic. And I think that's one thing I'm really happy to finally see uh, a lot of recognition of just how good Samsung software can be. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a hit for Samsung overall. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing about the S22 Ultra that I forgot to mention is the battery is kind of hit or miss. And I'd say hit or miss as in it's the same as the case for the regular S22. It's not a terrible battery, but you know, usually when the company comes out with a new phone year after year, you expect a small incremental increase in battery performance or just, you know, performance in general. But some people said it was a good battery. Some people said it was a bad battery. And one YouTuber, Mr. Who's the Boss, actually did a battery test with different phones. And he found that it lasted longer than last year's model, the S21 Ultra. So... That's interesting to see. And, you know, that was kind of one of the questions that we had from the announcement, because as everyone's kind of said, this new chip from Snapdragon, this the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, it's a bit more power hungry than other chips from them have been. And because, OK, it's power hungry, it's a bigger device, a big, bright screen. How is this going to affect battery life? And, you know, we're seeing that now in from people who actually have real world testing, who actually get to try the phones out. So it's interesting to see. I mean, it's still a great phone, you know, great screen, great cameras, great performance overall. But if you're someone, I don't know, who struggles getting your phone to last 
a whole day, I'd kind of wonder like, what are you doing on your phone that it's not lasting the whole day? But battery life is definitely something that a lot of people think about when they're choosing a phone. Um, but so you said Samsung tablets are great. You weren't as interested before you saw these reviews of the Tab S8 Ultra. Does that mean you're looking to buy one? Does that mean you're in the market for a new Ultra tablet? Well, not quite. I mean, I am someone who uses a Tab S6 Lite almost every day. It's a very, very, very underpowered tablet compared to the Ultra, like on a completely different class. And I'm actually using it right now. I've never had an issue with the performance of that tablet. So the fact that I'm using a tablet that regularly goes for under 300 Canadian dollars, I don't really think I need something that costs almost 1200. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think for certain people, it, honestly, I don't know how many people it's actually the perfect device for, but it's a showpiece, right? It's the thing that makes people say, oh, this is what Samsung can do if money is no object. And eventually mm -hmm. those features will start to work its way down, work its way, work its way down. So to me, it's it's more exciting about the future of what Samsung can bring. Big, you know, OLED screens, maybe even, you know, some 24-inch OLED monitors or 32-inch to 42-inch OLED TVs eventually. Um, and also, like, you know, how much they can extend their software in terms of can this compete with things like Chrome OS and Windows and Linux and actually be your full computer replacement. Uh, so yeah, I think overall, I'm just really impressed with it. But for me, no, it's not something that, that I would buy. But I'm curious, how do you feel about that? Because, you know, I think it kind of works really well with how Apple does it, right? They have their iPad Air, which is kind of overkill for most people, but still it's really powerful and it, you can get a lot done on it. But then they also have their Pro line that, you know, is probably not necessary for a lot of people, but it's still even more powerful than the Air's. Do you think that it's necessary to have tablets of these of like that are this powerful? And do you prefer Samsung's approach or Apple's approach? I would say with the software, I prefer Samsung's approach. I mean, we've said multiple times in the past just how hamstrung iPads are by the software. Mm -hmm. You know, the like you said, their their processors are super powerful. They're more powerful than you need on a tablet, but their limiting factor is the software and what it would allow them to do. Now, Samsung software is a lot more versatile. You can do a lot more with it. Multitasking is exponentially better on a Samsung tablet compared to an Apple tablet. But I guess the main thing is form factor, mm. right? Um, this is what a, the, the Tab S8 Ultra is a 14.6 inch tablet. That's ridiculously huge. That's you know, when I think of a tablet, I think of something portable, something that you could use in one hand, something that, you know, doesn't weigh you down if you're carrying it. But this 14.6 inch tablet, way too big for me, mm -hmm. in my opinion, way too big for a tablet, right? It, it takes the portability away from it. It takes the one handedness. Now, I guess part of it is they made it a lot thinner which I guess makes it easier to handle, easier to maneuver. But, you know, out of this Tab lineup, I would say just a regular Tab S8 would probably be the ideal size for me when it comes to a tablet, something around that range, maybe even something a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. So with the, the sizes that they've chosen, I like Apple sizes better. 
But with the actual experience on a tablet, I would say Samsung has better software. Yeah. But I guess, do you, would you see yourself using a 14.6 inch tablet? I could definitely see a use case. And for me specifically, it's around that display, especially if, if Samsung can add in features in the future, like, um, you know, they have their, their wireless display feature that works seamlessly with windows where you can use it as an extended display, almost like sidecar does with um, Apple does with sidecar. But if they, add the ability to do like display in through the USB port or something like that in the future. I could definitely see use case for a big OLED screen like that. But for the most part, I am definitely uh, more of a fan of smaller devices, smaller tablets, smaller phones. Uh, so for everyday use, that's not like a, an edge case. Definitely. I, I'm, I agree with you. I prefer the smaller, the smaller sizes. Mm-hmm. Okay. On to topic number two, we finally got our first look at the PlayStation VR 2 headset design. Uh, It was revealed by PlayStation, and it takes on a similar shape or a similar design language as a VR 2 Sense controller. So a few months ago, I believe, uh, PlayStation showed off what the, the VR controllers would look like. It's almost an orb that you put your hand into that has the controllers, that has a joystick, that has the buttons inside of the orb. And they've wanted to continue this orb design scheme to the actual headset. So now it's more of a rounded shape. It's not as much of a, you know, a flat visor like the previous PlayStation VR was. It's also inspired from the look of the PlayStation 5 console. They said that when they were designing the console, they were designing this VR headset at the same time. So the designs of both of them influence each other. So like the console, its main color is white. It has some glossy black accents around it. You know, it has some nice color into it too, some highlighting. It's a very futuristic looking headset. I mean, I feel like any VR headset is kind of futuristic looking, especially right now where, you know, there isn't a proliferation of, VR headsets out there. But another thing from there, what they were trying to achieve with this design is they wanted it to be aesthetically pleasing. Let's say you walked into someone's house underneath their TV, they had the PlayStation 5 console, they had the VR headset, the VR2 headset. They wanted it to be eye catching and people like, oh, wow, what is this contraption? What's this orb you have sitting under your TV? And I, you know, from the design of it, I definitely think they've achieved that. And kind of when the PlayStation 5 first came out, it was a very polarizing design. You know, everyone compared it to, you know, something from the Twin Towers. People said it was an alien space Wi-Fi router. There was a lot of critique about it, but I can say it's definitely an eye-catching design that gets people's attention. I like it. Some people may not like it, but I think it's, a very definitely a unique design and i think they've achieved that with this vr2 headset also so my question to you is you know from what you've seen do you think they've achieved what they set out for you know do you think it's an eye-catching design and you think it's you know not eye-catching as in like oh what the hell is that over there like that looks crazy or is it something that you think could stimulate some conversation, get people's attention, get people interested to try it. Yeah. So 
I mean, for the most part, I definitely think they they accomplished that. If, if if a huge part of their philosophy was making something that looked aesthetically pleasing. And I think it's a little bit more tame than the general PS5 um, aesthetic. And I think the mm-hmm. reason for that is the PS5 is very kind of in your face and very very flamboyant in, in like the way that the panels kind of curve and go up. Like it's, it's not just a black box, like the Xbox it's, it's very out there. And by comparison, I think this looks a little bit more reserved, but just because it's going to be next to a PlayStation five, that being said mm-hmm. next to a PlayStation five, like you mentioned, it has that color scheme. It's going to fit in perfectly. And I think it actually looks really, really cool and slim uh, and particularly light. Now, Obviously, no one's got their hands on it yet other than developers and and no one really knows, you know, if they're going to hit the ergonomics out of the park as well. But I got to say, from what I see, this looks incredibly impressive for two main reasons. One, uh, they kept the design uh, philosophy of the place of the original PlayStation VR, where instead of it being like goggles that strap to your face, they're using a headband design that goes around your head. And the goggles just, you know, kind of tilt down over your eyes. So your the pressure is not necessarily around your eye sockets, which can be very uncomfortable for long periods of time. And that was one of the things that was praised most about the original PlayStation VR. They kept that. And two, there's so many things about this system that is state of the art. Uh, you know, when you compare this to something like even the Valve Index, uh, it compares actually quite favorably in terms of the resolutions of the screens. The resolutions of the screens are higher. Once again, it's OLED. You know, we talked about OLED in the, the Samsung tablets. OLED is great. Uh, up to 120 hertz refresh rate, uh, you know, it has eye tracking built into it so that, you know, it has a, a field of view of about 110 degrees, which is a little bit lower than the Valve Index. But with the eye tracking, the the image can actually kind of adjust with where you're looking. So that can kind of actually help the fact that it has a lower field of view because you probably end up feeling like you're seeing just as much or even more because the headset is actually adapting to where you're looking. So it's like, it's things like that that really make me super impressed with the PSVR 2 because one, it looks great. It looks comfortable. It looks smaller than a lot of the other headsets out there. It doesn't look like a like a big rectangle that would look out of place in your living room. It looks like something that, you know, has a place there. And they did not skimp on on focusing on ergonomics either. Like they made sure that at least from what it sounds like, it sounds like they made sure that this thing was going to be comfortable to wear for long periods of time, be state of the art technology and, you know, really go well with the, the power of the PlayStation 5. So yeah, I'm I'm as much as I'm not a VR person, I probably won't play much VR. Uh I generally get motion sick pretty easily. Uh so VR is not necessarily something I've ever done or really am super excited about for me personally, but it is something I'm really excited about in terms of the technology. And I think out of everything I've seen from the Oculus Quest 2 to the Valve Index, the PSVR 2 is definitely the one I'm the most excited about seeing the future of. But uh how about you? How do you feel about the PSVR's design and and focus on technology i definitely like the design yeah i I like the design of the playstation 5 like i said so i think this goes well beside it Mm -hmm. and as you said you know it's going to seem even 
tame, I guess, yeah. in comparison to the, the monstrosity of the console it's going to be sitting next to. But I still think it's going to look futuristic. It's going, especially the controllers, right? Where we haven't seen anything. Well, definitely not anything from PlayStation like that. Yeah. You know, maybe if, if you're someone who's familiar with other VR consoles, that's something you may be familiar with. Um, but yeah, definitely we haven't seen anything from PlayStation like this before. In terms of some of the features and some of the state-of-the-art stuff that they have, like stuff they've taken from the last PlayStation VR, the adjustable scope, which kind of moves the scope area closer or further from your face, that's the same. The placement of the stereo headphone jack is the same as the last PlayStation. And some new things they've added, there's a lens adjustment dial, a slimmer design, which kind of reduces the weight a bit a built-in motor for haptic feedback on the headset. So, you know, when you're playing UFC in VR and you get a punch in the face, your head kind of rattles a bit. I'm not sure uh, who's <laughs> exactly going to be, who's exactly going to enjoy that. That might add to the motion sickness a bit. Yeah. And, you know, the designer is really excited also about this new vent system that, that they've created, which they're saying is inspired by the venting system on the PlayStation VR. It's a pretty prominent venting system at least on the front of the playstation vr but kind of what this venting system allows is one it's a bit of a stylistic piece but also when you're playing you have these goggles on your eyes like you said there are times where it could get uncomfortable especially with a traditional goggle that rests on your eye sockets but they've added venting that is continually bringing new air so you're not just you know pressure cooking your eyeballs out of your head yeah. And also, it's going to help cool the system down too, right? Which is kind of a, a, a two-factor piece, which is one, it's cool for you, but also cool for the system too. So it's there's a lot of little things that they've added. And I'm definitely excited to, to see when it comes out, excited to hopefully get my hands on a pair because the PlayStation 5s have been selling out quicker than they can stock them on shelves, right? It almost seems like as soon as they're they're back in stock, they sell out right away. So I'm interested to see how many of these they produce, one, and then how easy it is to get one, you know, once they're on shelves or once they go up for pre-sale or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to aim for this thing to come out holiday of this year. I know that sounds a little bit soon um, because, you know, we haven't really seen uh, anyone use it yet. Uh, all we've done is seen pictures, but we know it's in developers' hands. Uh, we kind of have a full idea of what this package is going to look like. And we also got some updates in terms of, hey, it's only going to be a one-cable connection to the PlayStation 5. So that clearly, this is something that they thought of since the beginning of when they were designing the PlayStation 5. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see this uh, as early as holiday season this year, but I'm curious... When do you think we will see this device and how much do you think it will cost? I'd have to agree with you on the timeline. I see it as coming out. I mean, maybe this is wishful thinking holiday season this year, you know, maybe somewhere around Black Friday, maybe somewhere just after Black Friday, because they've been working on this for a while, you know, since the start of the PlayStation 5, since before the PlayStation 5, they've been designing it, they've been working on it. And the fact that now they're showing us a headset, they're saying, hey, this is going to be a one a one cable setup. 
it seems like they're pretty not done with it, but they're pretty close to being ready to ship this to people. And you know, it's in developers' hands. They've been designing games already. It seems like we're getting pretty close to a expected, you know, blank date. Mm-hmm. In terms of pricing, I think the original PlayStation VR, the Iron Man bundle, sells for around three fifty. I could see it going somewhere between three fifty. 400 maybe 300 and 400 but yeah probably somewhere between 350 and 400 because vr isn't cheap yeah we're not at the part you know we're not at the point in the lifetime of vr products where they've become more affordable for people i mean i guess depending on who you ask and depending what other consoles you compare it to 350 is cheap for you know the quality of vr that you could be getting from playstation but i could see around 350 holiday season 2022 and there's already talks of you know a a special horizon vr being designed for this game i think there was even a demo for it that they showed off before Mm -hmm. so i could see holiday season this year they have the console come out they build a lot of hype around it they have games specifically to launch with this psvr2 system I can see it doing really well whenever it does get announced, whenever it does go on sale. But yeah, I mean, wishful thinking, I would say holiday season 2022. And I also think that they wouldn't show off the design and then say, okay, a whole year from now or a whole two years from now, we're going to come out with this. I see it coming out by the end of this year. Yeah, yeah, I I, I wouldn't be surprised either. And and you're right, like they are working um, on a, a Horizon uh, I think it's called Call of the Mountain or something like that. Uh, PlayStation, something like that. Yeah, it, game for VR, and I think that's going to be the key, right? Is how quickly they can get games to uh, launch alongside this. And I truly, truly think that there's probably some back backroom deals going on with Valve right now to get Half Life Alex to launch with this thing, um, along with maybe something like who knows, Super Hot Two or or. Uh, Beat Saber 2 or something like that. But I think the real killer app would be Half-Life Alex, because outside of a very, I wouldn't say small, but a smaller niche PC market, uh, that game really hasn't seen a huge audience. And you're right, the PlayStation 5 is incredibly popular. And the sooner they get the PSVR out, the sooner they'll probably be able to capitalize on that popularity and get a lot of those sold. And if that's the case, a whole group of people who probably never even know, you know, have no idea that Half-Life Alex exists or have any interest in it can get their hands on potentially what is considered the best VR game ever made uh, by a huge margin. And, you know, that could be huge for Valve, but also huge for PlayStation and huge for VR in general. Uh, Because right now what's really holding it back is accessibility and people getting their hands on it. And, you know, that that price point is going to be key. We saw with the Oculus Quest 2, hitting that $299 price point for the base model was huge. Um, and I, I kind of hope, you're right with the price point, I ho- kind of hope they can, you know, kind of slot right in there with uh, the Oculus Quest 2 with, within that $300 to $400 price range. I think, yeah, it could be really successful. Yeah, I think Half-Life Alex would be a huge, a huge game to come to the PlayStation VR 2. And I agree with, you know, both huge for half-life for valve because okay they're getting 
this amazing game they designed, they've they're getting it in more people's living rooms. They're getting it, you know, more people engaging with it. And it's also huge for PlayStation because this is an amazing game. And if you look at where it can be played, where your competitors, the Valve Index, and that's it. Right? There's no there's no Oculus, or I don't know, maybe it comes to Oculus, but at the moment, there's no game like that on oculus there's no vr for microsoft i mean maybe they have a vr microsoft mesh gaming system come out but in terms of competition it's okay the valve index which is a lot more expensive than this is going to be requires a much more expensive setup or playstation right so i think it would be a huge win-win for both companies if we got something like half-life alex launching alongside this PSVR 2 along with Horizon Call of the Mountains. I think that would be a great a great bundle that I could see them coming out with holiday season 2022. Yeah. You heard it here first people. Breaking news. Breaking news. Okay, on to our final topic of the day. The Mustang Mach-E was recently named the new EV king. When it comes to consumer reports now every year they release sort of their best cars in every division you know whether it be trucks whether it be regular suvs whether it be sedans whether it be electric vehicles and for the past two years the tesla model 3 has won the best ev but there's been a number of factors including ride quality usability in-car user experience there's been a number of factors that have led to the Mustang Mach-E actually beating Tesla out this year. And, you know, Consumer Reports says, okay, the Model 3 is still a great car, still a great car that we recommend to people. We're not saying it's a bad car, but just in terms of overall what you're getting from the car and what people have reported, the Mustang Mach-E is an overall better car. Um We've talked uh, we've talked extensively in the past about you know the con- quality control issues that Tesla has in some corners where it seems like they've they've cut things back and we've you know we've predicted that okay at some point these legacy car manufacturers that are getting into electric vehicles at some point they're gonna catch up to Tesla and possibly overtake them so you know I'm curious to hear are you surprised that it's happened already? And are you surprised to see that it's Ford, you know, the Ford Mustang that's done it? Or is, is this kind of on par with what you were expecting? Yeah. So you, you initially brought this up to my attention and my first impression was, was to be quite surprised uh, on, on two fronts. One that anyone could knock off Tesla right now in terms of the most recommended electric car, but two that it would be Ford, um, you know, I, I definitely expected another car manufacturer, maybe like something from Volkswagen um, or even GM when they, you know, kind of made this whole branding change towards electric uh, would do it first. But, you know, after reading through a bit of the report, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, like you said, we've talked so much about Tesla's quality control issues, and that's something that they they label in this report. And, you know, customer's impression of quality you know, Ford is a traditional manufacturer where 
they ship a car and it doesn't ship without USB ports. It doesn't ship with, you know, huge panel gaps or a broken windshield. Um, it ships complete for the most part. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, but for the most part, that's what happens. And most customers seem to be more happy with the product they're receiving from day one from Ford than they are from Tesla right now. And then they also talk about things about in this comparison, you know, the Mach-E is just a more practical vehicle. It's a bigger uh, crossover type vehicle compared to the, the smaller compact like sedan of the Model 3. And they even state in this report, it would have been more, it would have made more sense to compare the Mach-E to the Tesla Model Y, but the quality issues of the Model Y outweigh the Model 3, uh, which makes it even lower than the Model 3 in terms of, uh, you know, perception with consumers and quality and all that. So yeah, the more you hear, or the more I read through this report and the more I see their, their methodology for why they think, you know, the Mach-E right now is a better recommend recommendation than Model 3, uh, it makes sense. But like you said, it doesn't mean that the Model 3 is a, is a not a great car. It's still very highly, comes highly recommended on, on their part. And I wouldn't be surprised if we might see some flip-flopping in the next few years from all these brands kind of trying to catch at Tesla's heels and trying to outdo one another. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Mach-E doesn't stay, you know, the recommended EV for very long. But how about you? How do you feel about this? Are you surprised? And do you think that Tesla can just get back just by making sure their cars are manufactured properly? <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, first, I would say the same as you. I'm surprised. I'm surprised more so that it's Ford that has overtaken them. Like you, like you I would have expected someone from GM. I would have expected someone like, you know, maybe one of their Cadillacs. Or I would expect maybe a Mercedes or maybe a Porsche electric vehicle. But it makes sense that it's Ford and that it's the Mustang Mach-E that has, I guess, taken the top title for EVs, at least right now. You know, one thing that Tesla always has or has always had is it's a very sporty or they make very sporty front drive cars. But when you think about Mustang, like, okay, the original Mustang is a sports car. It's an American muscle car. So they know how to make sporty cars. It's a crossover, so it's a bit more practical. It's easier to live with when you look at, okay, fitting people into the car. Or maybe if you have, you know, someone that you have to move, you can fold down seats. There's more storage space. And it's a quieter ride, too. You know, one thing that you mentioned, the Tesla Model Y, has had issues, a lot of issues come around things like panel gapping, like body integrity, body hardware, climate control systems. There's a lot of issues with the Model Y and the fact that Ford can nail so many things, it speaks volumes to the fact that, okay, this is someone who has been producing vehicles for a long time. And not to mention, you know, the smaller things that make a car easier to live with, like the Mach-E's infotainment system. You know, we've We've critiqued Tesla's before, how instead of having a dashboard and a separate infotainment system in the Model 3 and Y, they've gotten rid of the dashboard and it's just the one infotainment system. So now anytime you have to check your speed, you kind of have to slightly deviate. You're looking down to the right slightly. And then they've taken things from the driver's stock, like turning on your windshield wipers. They've taken dials away for things like turning on your window defogger. That's now, okay, buried behind a couple of clicks. And that's something that weighs in on this 
this ranking system that they've created on this voting system that they've created. So it doesn't take multiple steps for you to use your defroster or adjust your mirrors or turn on your windshield wiper in the Mustang, but it does in the Tesla, which makes it, you know, not as easy to live with as of a vehicle. So Tesla, I think, yes, they have to one make better cars in terms of ship them with charging ports for your phones make sure that all panels match the same color, make sure there's no panel gap in. But also, I think they kind of have to redesign how they're thinking about the interiors of their vehicles, right? It's, I mean, Elon said previously when he was talking about the whole chopping in half of the steering wheel, that, oh, any input from a driver is error. Well, sometimes drivers need to make inputs. Sometimes they need to, you know, the car isn't going to be able to do everything perfectly on its own. And so I think they're going to have to maybe think of redesigning the interiors of their vehicles a little bit. They're still, you know, pretty good interiors, but even something as simple as adding back a dashboard, adding back a stock for your windshield wiper, you know, simple things like that would definitely go a long way for their drivers. And maybe even adding a full steering wheel back <laughs> into your more premium cars, I think that would also go a long way too. Yeah, well, I mean, there has been images spied of... of potentially future model threes coming with a yoke as well um which would be quite interesting oh but I, I think you brought up a really fantastic point about usability and you know i've heard from you know a lot of youtube videos and even a lot of users of teslas that as tesla adds more of these kind of fringe features like adding whoopee cushions and games and stuff like that to their cars um and also burying more things in the touchscreen like your window wipers and stuff like that a lot of people are complaining that the software is actually getting worse uh, than it was when they originally started using their cars. And the interesting thing is I feel like a lot of these companies like Ford have learned from a lot of Tesla's mistakes. Like you mentioned, not combining the speedometer and your infotainment into one screen in the middle uh, is great. Also, you know, Ford, uh, the Mach-E has a physical volume dial, so you can turn up the volume without you know, tapping on a touchscreen and you don't have to look at it to turn up your volume. Uh, they also have dedicated section for climate controls that never changes no matter what you're doing on the screen. It's always going to be persistently there. Uh, and also it supports Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, which for some reason Tesla refuses to do. Uh, and it's something that Rivian decided they didn't want to do either. But it's it's stuff like that that really, I think, frustrates some people who Maybe they have a car and they have their iPhone and they want to use Waze, but for some reason on a Tesla, you know, they got to just stick with the Tesla stuff. But now there's competition that says, no, you don't have to just do that. You can use something else. And another kind of interesting point they brought up in this uh, report, this consumer reports kind of comparison is self-driving. You know, Tesla has been very, very vocal about how great they think their self-driving is. But one thing that Consumer Reports mentioned is that there is no way for Tesla's self-driving method to tell whether or not the driver is paying attention to the road. Essentially, all it does is it periodically checks to see if, you know, there's a hand on the steering wheel. But that person could be sleeping or, you know, shaving or eating a slice of pizza or watching Netflix. Um, whereas with the Ford and Blue Cruise, it has cameras that are actually watching the driver to make sure that they're paying attention. And if they're not, it will take precautions to disengage the system and kind of bring the car hopefully into a 
safer situation so that we don't hear stories about, oh, a car was pulled over and two people were sleeping in it. Um, we're not there yet, but hopefully eventually we get to that, that level five autonomous driving where we can sleep in our cars. But as of right now, it's much safer to kind of make sure that, that, you know, the people behind the wheel are actually practicing safe practices. So, yeah, I think, I think kind of what we're seeing the start of at least is Tesla has been very good at predicting what people want from their electric vehicles, what people want from their, the future of cars. But I guess what we're seeing now is maybe they've made the wrong bets. They've made the wrong assumptions. They say, oh, people don't need a speedometer. People don't want to easily, you know, change the climate of their vehicle. People don't care about panel gapping. They've, you know, made bets on a few things. And, you know, they've made a lot of great bets. They've made great cars. They still do make great cars. They made, you know, a great charging network. They made very fun cars to drive. But there's a few things where it's kind of like the bets that they made on the future of vehicles have kind of been off. And now do they course correct and say, okay, we've listened to what people are saying. We've listened to consumer reports. And we're going to add back features that we thought you didn't want, but you actually wanted. We're going to add some physical buttons and dials into things because it turns out people actually enjoy that or actually people prefer that. So it'll be interesting to see if Tesla course corrects. If I had to make a guess, if I had to make a bet on what Tesla would do, I would say they stick to their guns and they, you know, they put a yoke steering wheel in the Model 3 and they bury things even deeper into settings. And maybe eventually they take the speedometer out of the Model S and Model yeah. X. Double down. Maybe the, the Cybertruck and the Roadster don't have a speedometer at all. Yeah, that's I don't see Tesla course correcting anytime soon. What would you, I guess what is your prediction for okay, does Tesla stick to their guns or do they say, hey, you know what, maybe we were wrong with a couple of things. We're gonna redo redo what we or undo what we did in the future. One hundred percent agree with you. They're doubling down. They're they're gonna make, you know, yokes and everything and, and they're gonna try to differentiate as much as possible. And I think what's key here is, like we mentioned, Consumer Reports still says the Model 3 is a fantastic vehicle. And for a lot of people, the Model Y is a fantastic vehicle despite its issues. And the Plaid and the Model X and the, the one day coming Roadster, Cybertruck and Semi um, will one day show up and be great as well. And I think that's the key, right? These vehicles aren't as difficult or as annoying or as bad to the point where they're annoying their fan base. Sure, there's this new there's these new cars on the market that are drawing in people who maybe aren't Tesla fans, but Tesla is still selling a ridiculous amount of cars. They're very successful, and people still love the quirkiness of these vehicles. And I think they're only going to double down on building out their fan base the same way Apple does. Uh, Apple, you know, can make this crazy, crazy powerful iPad Pro that can only use two apps at once despite the fact that it has the same processor as their their MacBook Pros. And, you know, people still love it. And it's because they do what they do really well and they cater to their fan base. And I actually think that despite the fact that I might not like those things, I think that's smart. It's smart for a company to cater to the people who are supporting it and really like it. And I think Tesla's going to continue to do that. They're going to continue to put on put in all these cool, weird features that 
some people really love and other people will get afford to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you're, let's say you're in the market for an electric vehicle right now, what are you getting? Model three? Pulsar what? two. Pulsar. Okay. I love that car. <laughs> right. I think it's the coolest looking car and it has so many issues um, in terms of range and ride. Uh, Cause it's a very stiff chassis. Well, it's stiff suspension. Um, but I, I, I'm such a fan of that vehicle. I think it looks fantastic. Uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely at the top of my list right now. Sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> no, the perfect. What perfect. about you? What's what's your top <laughs> choice? Uh, Mercedes EQXX. Mm. But in like the real world where money matters, probably the Mustang Mach E. I mean, after this, I guess any closing statements for today. Uh, yeah, just two quick statements. want to give a shout out to uh, Elden Ring. Launched this week. Has ridiculously crazy reviews. People are loving it and saying it might be the greatest game of all time. Uh, and it's doing really well. I'm glad to see that. Not my type of game, but it's really cool to see that. Also, want to give a huge shout out to the Steam Deck. Uh, reviews are coming out. The reviews are all over the place, to be honest. But uh i am so impressed with this thing uh from what i've seen this seems like it is the coolest piece of tech to come out in a very very long time uh valve has done things that i haven't seen anyone else do this is a pc that you can carry around in the palm of your hands and can play cyberpunk god of war and elden ring and it's in a similar form factor to the switch but it's completely different from the switch uh in terms of the fact that it's a full-fledged pc and they've also done really cool things like, hey, they're going to sell replacement parts directly to consumers. And they released CAD files. So if you want to 3D print your own shell for the thing and, and completely customize it, like this is a completely unheard of uh, kind of approach to releasing a product. And despite the fact that reviews are all over the place, some people who you know are probably more used to PC gaming really, really love it. And other people who are more thinking that this was going to be like a switch and as easy to use as a switch are kind of more down on it uh despite all of that i think this could be uh, a revolution in terms of 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 you know gaming uh on the go and hopefully we get some time next week to to talk about it but yeah it's it's just i definitely recommend people go read about it check it out uh ign has some great uh videos of different games running on it uh, which is cool to see, but also just, you know, it's a really cool thing and I'm really excited about it. Cool. Yeah, maybe maybe you guys just got a preview for our next week's episode. Maybe. Maybe. Take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Get you in the next episode.